Welcome to the Small Business Whole Health Podcast. We help you stay happy, healthy, and whole so your small business can thrive and stay vital in this ever-changing world with holistic coaches and small business owners, Jill and Dan. Hello and welcome to the Small Business Whole Health Podcast. I'm Jill and I'm here with my podcasting partner, Daniel. Hello, Jill, and hello, listeners. Hello, listeners. And today we've got a very special guest for you. If you come to any of my classes, you will know because I have done training and I do classes with this man. It is Michael King, who is one of, he's a bit of a Pilates legend, to be fair. And he is one of the original Pilates people in the UK. He was there when Mike um, Alan Herdman brought Pilates to the UK and Michael actually worked for Alan. So he has got many tales and legends of Pilates and he's just a generally nice all-rounder. And so without further ado, here's our interview with Michael. So Michael, what did you think when you were introduced to the Pilates method did you think it would become so popular and how did you get introduced to it well um <laughs> I hated it you hated it yes I, <laughs> I didn't it. expect you to say that well I was a young this was you know we're talking centuries ago I was a young <laughs> dancer and it was actually my school I was at in London the London School of Contemporary Dance that actually sent Alan Herdman over to the US to learn it to bring back and so when he brought it back, we had to do Pilates two, three times a week um, as a class, mat work. And we just didn't see the point of it because we were young and we were there to dance. And so to lay down on a mat actually just seemed pointless. It was only when I injured myself, then suddenly I got it. You know, unfortunately, and unfortunately that's how many people come to us today is they wait till they get injured and then they skip on in saying, oh, you know, I'm here for Pilates. Uh, but it was at that point that um, that I really understood exactly what Pilates was. Before that injury, I didn't understand that. And then did you start working with Alan in his studio? Yes. At that time, Alan was, um, well, at that time, um, Alan decided to leave the place and open up his own studio. And so he hired myself, Julian Littlefoot, um, who I trained with, and uh, another guy called Avi was from Israel, actually. He came in from Israel, because Alan, by that stage, Alan had opened up other studios outside of the country. He'd opened one in Israel in, called the Backdoor Dance Company, and one in Houston, in Texas, with the Houston Ballet. And so Avi came in for, uh, to train at the new studio. Um, Alan always jokes and said he, he just hired us for cheap labor, uh, <laughs> because we, had, we painted the studio, literally painted the studio. It was an old church hall, big room. And so we did all the painting and I actually lived in the basement, which is quite horrendous now I think about it, um, for a while and, um, and eventually then became his manager of that studio. It was interesting when you said that you did Pilates, you hated it at first and then you got injured and then you ended up moving forward and loving it in the end. I don't know about you, Jill, but I found that with the Czech Institute as well, when we went and learned from Paul Czech, a lot of the people who were on the academy, they'd had similar experiences where they'd, they'd not really thought about the holistic approach to health and fitness, and then they'd come across an injury or an illness, and then had to learn this stuff, and then felt compelled to teach it to other people, because they realized how powerful it was. It's really interesting when you turn that kind of curse into a gift. I find that fascinating. 
I, mean, I think it's the journey of teaching, I think, you know, when you come across either from personal experience, um, can different conditions. I mean, when you're young, you just think the body does everything you want it to do. You know, part of aging is you begin to realize mm, the body's not going to do exactly what it used to do quite so easily. Although I do punish myself sometimes when I do my bar class, I think I'm going to show off and, you know, but I always know deep down inside, I'm going to pay for it for the next two or three days, you know, uh, because I'm swinging my legs around and doing all these big movements. But I think personal experience often leads you in a direction that you weren't expecting. And I think learning about different conditions, different situations is, I think is exciting, but it can also be challenging for the instructor when you're faced first of time after those conditions for the first time with clients coming in why do you think people love pilates so much i think people love it for different reasons i don't think there's one reason i think some people come in because you know they've got this crazy household and crazy job they come in and they lay on a mat and they're breathing for an hour focusing on their body i think those people are very different from the clients coming in with a spine problem you know who come in to look for a solution to feel better so I think I always say what people get out of the method is very in, different depending on why they come in. You know, a dancer coming to do Pilates doesn't come for a workout. A dancer coming to do Pilates or a football player or basketball player, anyone professional, they're not coming for a workout. They're coming in to make their sport better. But the, you know, the person coming in for the, their workout type of thing, you know, is a bit of a challenge because people think they're going to get that gorgeous long body and they'll be thin in a second. Uh, and I think the worst thing blood is different <laughs> was to give that quote, which I see all the time and I kind of wince, say, oh, and in 10 classes, you'll feel different. In 30 classes, you'll have a different body. It's not exactly true, you know, depending on where your starting point is. I mean, if you're a deconditioned decondition individual that's never exercised your life and you've decided to start Pilates, I would say 30 classes, you're not going to see much difference. Just, you know, that's your beginning of it. So I think people get different things out of it uh, because of why they come in the first place. There's so many other factors involved and you, you can maybe do 30 Pilates classes, but if you don't take care of the other 23 hours in the day, the results are going to be minimal and it's trying to get that point across. Yeah. I mean, I tell my, I tell all my, uh, my um, uh, clients and all the, and the new teachers, people don't change in your class. They change outside. You know, you're giving them the tools to stand better. You're giving them tools to, you know, to, to work their body better. Uh, but you're not changing their bodies. They're the ones changing their own bodies. So it's how they apply it um, when they're doing the movement. Jill said earlier, you've been instrumental in bringing Pilates to the UK. And are there times when you didn't think it was going to work? Well, Alan Herman brought it to the UK. I was definitely one of the first teachers in the UK. I think, yes, I mean, there's times where you, you, take, you take things for granted. Um, and so there's, there's times when you just think, oh, you forget exactly what it's doing. And I always, when you haven't done your Pilates for a while, that's suddenly what, when you're reminded exactly what Pilates is giving you. So I know that you've mentioned the constant, like about core strength and stuff. How has that changed from when you first started teaching uh, to, to nowadays? Because we teach it slightly differently nowadays. Well, we were taught originally that when the, the harder the movement, the more you sucked in. Mm. You know, traditional Pilates was you zip, scoop and hollow. You suck your abdominals in as much as you can. And you can see pictures of Pilates doing this. What we understood, and maybe from the research in the late 90s, is that, you know, the core, you know, it's not meant to be trained hard. You know, if you really look, well, 
at it, it's, it's, you know, the, the trunk is a three-dimensional movement system that works together. So you can't separate really the core. You know, the core is what you give, is what give is the spine the support. It's obviously what you're putting against the trunk that decides really what you're focusing on. And I think a lot of times now understanding fascia, now understanding so much of what we didn't understand, we begin to understand the body is a lot more complex than what we thought. You know, suck in as hard as you can and you'll, you'll have a strong core. That's not exactly true. But that research that came out led, led us into understanding, you know, a better uh, idea of exactly what the core is and exactly what the core job is. And I think the, the worst thing that happened in fitness in a way was that the core came separate, got, became separated. Um, you know, they had the core classes, the core pieces of equipment. You were training the core separately, uh, which is not really what I believe what the core needs. The core needs to be integrated in movement. You know, mm. you're training your body to work with a, a, an active center, not necessarily a strong center, and I think that's, you know, uh, we've had some amazing uh, chats over lockdown. You know, we've had these great guests coming and sharing their expertise with us. And it's been a huge learning opportunity. You know, in Pilates, if you, if you activate your center, you're already compressing the spine. So if you've got somebody coming in with a spine problem and you're telling them to activate the center, you're creating more tension. So their body's probably already got a lot of tension from the spine problem. Mm. So the last thing they need to do is create more tension. So pulling the navel to spine that we've done for so long, you know, for some people is not the right thing to do. And I think Cameron Angus with his, uh, Angus with his uh, fearless spine program really drew attention to that saying the last thing somebody with a spine problem needs is to lay on a mat and lift one leg up. You know, they need to move, they need to step, they need to climb, they need to walk, they need to move the body, mm. not contract a strong core. So I think over the last 20 years, since that research came out, we're now looking at it slightly different. And we realize that it's not as simple as just pulling the navel to spine to activate your core. You know, the breathing, the alignment, and as, as Dan said, you know, the, what you're doing outside of class, not just when you're with me, but how you are sitting, how you are moving your body has an effect on what the core does. Yeah, one of the things we learned in the Czech Institute Paul said one of his concepts is isolation to integration. So if someone doesn't have any really core strength in any muscle in particular, and injuries are a big part of this, then you may need to isolate the muscle first and just teach that muscle how to switch on, how to fire. But then mm. the important thing is to integrate that into movement because that's how life is. We do yeah, climb, we do run, we do everything. So if you isolate, then integrate that's that is the ultimate goal you kind of just you kind of just do isolation exercises all the time and that's been one of the big kind of fitness movements of developing machines and just doing core workouts that's not how life works and that leads to more injuries yeah i mean i th i think it's you know there's some people out there that are on a, what i believe a higher level they don't believe in teaching alignment they think the body should just move now I respect them. I respect what they're doing. They say you shouldn't teach neutral. You shouldn't teach the activation of the core. You should just move. The body just needs to move. But I believe working with clients for so long, if I have a client coming in that has no idea what an, what an aligned posture is, what good alignment is, I have to have that framework. And then, yeah, hopefully eventually their body learns that and that they do start moving more efficiently and better. 
Um, and I, Paul is an amazing educator and I agree completely with him is that you need to have some baseline, whether yeah. you say isolation, it's a kind of a baseline of what do they need to know first before that they can then get up and do something, you know? And for us, breathing is a big thing. Uh, some of the original teachers, you had to learn to breathe first before you could move. So you go in and sit, some very famous original teachers of Pilates, you had to, first thing you did in their studio was sit for 10 minutes and do some breathing. And then you started moving. Um, some of the original teachers, the first five classes were just breath exercises. So breath for us is a big part of effective movement. And of course, the diaphragm being part of the core, we need to you know, get that diaphragm working. But I think everyone's been on the same path. I think Paul with the Czech Institute, other people out there doing amazing work as well. And there is some amazing Eric Franklin with his method, all these great people right now, you know, exploring movement, are trying to do the same thing, which is get us moving better. There might be different approaches and Pilates is definitely a different approach for some people, but I think we're all trying to reach that same point as being more effective. And unfortunately over lockdown, and I think people have been moving less, you know, we're trying to get people dancing every night in their living room, but I don't know if that's possible for everybody, but I think it's that lack of movement, too much sitting is gonna, unfortunately the long-term effect of COVID is and this pandemic is that we're probably going to finish up with a lot more spine problems because mm. we've not been moving as much, unfortunately. And that leads I, us nicely onto our next question is, how has COVID affected your business? Oh, it destroyed it. I mean, literally. <laughs> and everyone else's. And everyone else's. Overnight, <laughs> we had no income. You know, we were very organized. We had the whole 12 months planned. You know, every year we've, you know, we've been doing this for a long time. So every year we had our program, our schedule, and we'd get on a plane, go teach somewhere. And, you know, and it was all planned. And literally it went, it changed. So it was, you know, we were one of the footy duddy companies that said, oh, we'll never do anything online. You know, we'll never do anything online. But we started with classes and that was a shock because I've never seen so many bedroom ceilings in my whole life. Um, and, you know, people holding their phones, trying to see you and you trying to see them. But it got better. And then we started with some small courses and now we're running everything online. You know, we've started with the reformer courses online, which is a big thing because you've got to have a reformer. That's the main thing, you know. Um, but I think all the other courses have, have transferred. It's never the same as face-to-face, -face, but it is has been a lot more convenient for people. We've had students from India, from Mexico, from all over <laughs> joining us who would never have been able to get to our live courses. So I think there's positive negatives. I think we finish up with a business now, which is online. And we will be the first ones to run live courses. We're going to back to live course because it's who we are. But I think there will always be online. Mm. I don't think it's going to go anywhere. I think people suddenly realize the convenience of it and the adaptability of it. So I hope in the future it will get, we'll have a mix of both. But definitely COVID slapped us in the face and made us really reevaluate what we were doing because suddenly it stopped. But I think it's good. I mean, some good things have come out. As I said, the talks we've had since we started have been amazing. I mean, the experts that have given the specialists from Chinese medicine to marketing to spine problems to you name it. Well, this Friday night, we've got someone talking about stomas. You know, Sarah Russell, who got one herself. I mean, in the, the subjects have been amazingly varied. Um, yeah. And I think that's been the best thing. But there has been definitely challenges of having... Yeah, and you've got your 
beautiful studio in the background there that we can see, which is in Athens, isn't it? Athens in Greece. Yes. Uh, the studio was actually open for two days and then COVID <laughs> hit us. Uh, so we had it all sparkling clean, ready for our big opening. And we had thousands of flyers printed because they like flyers here in Greece. And they've been sat on the shelf ever since. So, yeah, we've, um, and of course, we, we could have opened in July and August. They relaxed things here. But the Greeks being the Greeks, everyone went on holiday for a month. You know, even though nobody had worked for the year, it was Greece, it was August, so we're going to take a month holiday. So yes, we have a beautiful studio where we've been running the online classes, and we will get back to working live clients as soon as we can. I've loved that you've gone online because I've done loads of courses with you. <laughs> I know you have. It's been, you know, and it's been good. We've met, I mean, the good thing about the the original classes we started, we gave all free classes originally and we had 800 people sign up. Now, a lot of those people were people we knew over the years, but there was a huge amount of new people come to us. And so the community we've got now that come to the talks and do things with us, you know, is really very different to how we were running the business before. I mean, we were a company that would get on, go to a convention, go to a course, get on a plane, come home. You know, we weren't connected as we have been to the students. You know, I'm teaching everyday online classes, Malcolm it as well. So we've got students coming to our classes every day. That's different to what we were doing before. Yeah, I loved, I think I first met you in Edinburgh, like a convention, and then it was like, oh, I really want to go to Michael, do Michael's courses, but they're always away somewhere or not at the right times. And then when COVID hit and lockdown, you put them online, I was like, right, I'll do as many as I can. <laughs> <laughs> while it's still there so Michael what are your top tips on teaching online the thing is if you have to people come to you not just for the exercise online you know we have to realize that during this time people are coming for contact you know you know mm. I would say always allow a few minutes before the class starts to, to chat because it's really important to make that contact Make sure as you're teaching, you correct everybody. We, we bought a 55-inch uh, TV and we put it on a stand so we can see everybody. Uh, and I can, as I go through class, I, I correct everybody. I make sure everyone gets a correction so they feel that, you know, that they are there being observed. And then leave a little bit of time at the end of the class as well because it's, it's with what we're all going through emotionally, it is more than just exercise. You know, people are coming for that contact. I mean, on our website, we have recorded classes, which are great. We do, you know, we put classes on there all the time, but that's a different thing. If you're watching a recording, you don't have that connection with a teacher. So never, never undervalue that connection, that live connection with your, with your students. And that's why I don't like, I tried Facebook Live for one event and I hated it because you can't see people. You know, people can leave you rude messages and all that, but you can't see them. So we like Zoom. Uh, because I get to see, uh, you know, everyone in the class. You try not demonstrate everything. No, I'm, talking, I'm talking to myself now because I, I think I've never demonstrated as much as I have since on, online classes. There are times when you need to stop and just sit and look and give that correction. Um, so I think that's an important rule as well. Don't forget, you can always get the class to turn away from you so you can see their backs, which is, again, is a, is a great one because that way then you can see a different view of them. You can't walk around them on a Zoom class, but you could get them to turn around so you can get them seen from the side and from the back. Those are good uh, queuing tips, as I would say, for it. 
Mm, that's a good one. And what about um, for people joining? <laughs> when we first started, you saw lots of uh, ceilings, as you've already mentioned, and <laughs> and bosoms. I've never, yes. I mean, because they, 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 everything was they, they were holding the cameras. In fact, one of my funniest one was um, one of my actually I've known her for a very very long time, but she wanted me to train her on the reformer, and she was literally just holding the telephone above her face and going backwards and forwards on the reformer. <laughs> and I said. I said, Jan, I can't see you. She's like, I, I said, put me in the corner. Let me see you from the side. She says, no, but I won't be able to hear you. So I think, you know, there's, at the beginning, there was a lot of that, but people got cleverer and they got more wise to it that, you know, if I could see the whole body, we still get a little bit of, you know, the leg in the air sometimes. Um, you know, and I'll say, oh, whoever it is, I can only see your foot. <laughs> Please lower the camera a little bit. So there's a little bit of that. It was a pretty steep learning curve for everyone involved. <laughs> it was the it instructors is. first. As instructors, we had to learn how to do it perfectly as quick as possible. But then I think as, as customers and participants, they didn't feel as much pressure. So <laughs> you had to really stress the importance at the start of each class of the camera placement. <laughs> and it's, it was, it's vital, isn't it? It is. And I think, you know, it's the interesting thing is obviously we teach Pilates. But we want people to be exercising the heart, doing some strength training. So I think for those teachers that can teach different modalities, then you're, you're kind of a more of a one-stop shop. You know, if people are doing Pilates, great, but they should be doing other things as well. Um, so I've been looking at some HIT classes for older adults. We were going to uh, look, call it senior HIT class. But then when we thought about abbreviating it, it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't <a> bit. <laughs> um, so we're saying hit for older adults, because I think we need to, you know, we can't, I can maybe do one burpee, uh, or maybe two on a good day. But, you know, when you get to a certain age, you can't be jumping up and down off the ground. So we're looking at different ways for the over 60s, the over 70s, to do a little bit of uh, intensity uh, hit classes. But it's not Pilates. It is, I mean, you know, there's a lot of fusion classes out there. You know, this is not going to be one of our fusion classes. This is literally a different uh, training system for the heart <laughs> yeah dan dan is the king of the hit class aren't you dan <laughs> if i do another burpee this year and then i've done enough for my entire life it's just one of those things you're just limited to what you can do but but they do work so <laughs> i was looking at chair burpees you know instead of going down to the ground doing a chair burpee. oh that's a good idea oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, we're, i've been looking at different ways of, of you know doing because we do i do have 60 year olds and i have 70 year olds but often the 70 year olds are fitter than the 50 year olds you know that's the other i thing. find that as well yeah, yeah, yeah. no we say don't train the number train the condition Mm. Now, that's the thing that you if you have somebody this is quite active the last thing they want to be told is you can't do that because of your age you know they, they want to be able to do it so we are trying to say older adults you know because if you look this new qualification we've been working on when we look at older populations special populations the older adults is obviously anyone over 50 you know and then um the word that came up in the qualification was decrepit <laughs> i was like hang on a minute this can't be in a qualification concerning <laughs> older adults, decrepit as a technical term, you know? So, yeah, no, so I think burpees with a chair is the way we're going. I don't think you get many people at your decrepit class. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Michael's decrepit class. It's a very niche well, market, I imagine. <laughs> your people might have said something like that about some of my classes, but. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. <laughs> We wouldn't advertise it as that has been decrepit. 
Well, I, you know, it's funny when, what's his name? I forgot his name now. Who won the um, Strictly uh, bill? Uh, oh yeah, Bill Bailey. I mean, people were so amazed at his age that he could do it. I'm like, hang on a minute. I'm jumping me down doing bar three times a week and spirals and everything, <laughs> you know, and I'm much older than Bill Bailey, you know, <laughs> this is crazy. The country was shocked of a man of his age being able to do that. I'm like, no. You should be allowed on there, Michael. Give them a run for their money. <laughs> I know. Well, you know, I'm probably too good for them. I don't know. <laughs> You could be one of the professionals. Yeah, I just I would miss the first set of uh, the shows. I would go straight to the live shows. Yes. <laughs> they do on X Factor. I'd get the golden buzzer and go straight to the Strictly live show, the finale. Or Blackpool, because Blackpool's my favourite one of the shows. Go to the Blackpool show. Because we, we were always at fit camps when um, they were in Blackpool. It's, you know, when we were doing fit camps in November, it was always the Blackpool weekend when they were there filming. I was like, oh, it was so close to them. They're just down there in the tower, you know? <laughs> I'm surprised they didn't invite you. Well, I think there were, yes, I, I would like to have invited myself, but no, we were, unfortunately, we were so busy with the fit camps, we couldn't escape. <laughs> so, Michael, how do you think the method will continue and grow in the future? Well, that's a funny question mm -hmm. because that's what we're talking about. I think, let me go back backwards. If you had to teach, if you wanted to teach Pilates, you had to be a client of Pilates for at least a year. So you had to know your Pilates first. With the popularity of the method, and, and in the early days, you know, in the early 2000s, we were doing the training for Fitness First, Homes Place as it was. We were having personal trainers and group exercise teachers come to us. They didn't want to learn Pilates. They were being sent by the club. Mm -hmm. uh, so there was a whole lot of people having to learn Pilates um, to um, to be able to teach it, but they were really learning it themselves before as they were learning to teach it. I think we're at a different place now. I think Pilates has been out there and a lot of people know what their Pilates and you say it's, it's reached out to different areas in different groups, different populations. The medical world is obviously with APPI and everything they're doing with Pilates. You know, the relationship between exercise and injury has become a lot closer, you know, with GP referral and all those great programs. And Pilates sometimes can fit in that missing gap. What we hope is, you know, that gap becomes much clearer, you know, because we know physios are very overloaded. You know, they send people to Pilates in between physio sessions because they want the, the clients to be doing things. And I think that I hope the relationship of, um, of the injury and post rehab and health and the healthy client becomes a lot clearer for us as Pilates teachers. Because I do think Pilates teachers are put in a position to handle situations which, as we were talking about earlier, often they don't know about that situation. I think it's not going anywhere. You know, it's funny when I pop into places and they say, oh, you know, oh, isn't, isn't yoga more popular now? Isn't yoga more popular than Pilates? And I say, well, maybe some places. It all depends on the teachers, really. Uh, I think the future of the method is in the teachers that are teaching right now. And I think we've been challenged. You know, I know some studios have closed because of the pandemic. I think when we reopen, it's going to be, people might be nervous about coming to live classes. I think we have to learn to adapt. And definitely you know, the ones who are going to survive have to have adapted a lot to what they're offering. Um, you might have been very happy pre-pandemic doing what you were doing church halls, you know, little studios. But I think the future in, when we come out of this period is that your business might be a different business 
than when you went into the pandemic. So I think the future is in the teacher's hands. Yes, I think there are always going to be people with problems with their bodies. And I think, unfortunately, that's just the way we're living our life. There's going to be people with spine problems, with neck problems, you name it, and you can usually relate it to bad movement pattern and imbalances. You know, and we can always have clients coming in who are going to need Pilates. I can't say I'm a great fan of 25 reformers in all the Virgin Actives, because I think that's not really what Pilates is about. If you know your Pilates, you know that it's an adaptable method. All the different pieces of the apparatus gives you different options on movement programming. I think when teachers learn the full method and understand really that the relationship between mat and apparatus is a very good, healthy relationship. Uh, unlike fitness, the apparatus doesn't make it more difficult. It's just a lot more adaptable on a piece of apparatus. So I hope, you know, we're looking now to what we were in 2000, the studios in Manchester, in Newcastle, you name it, there's blood studios all over the country. That never was before. You'd have to come to London to, or Edinburgh, you know, to do Pilates studio work. So I think there will be more Pilates studios, whether they're home-based Pilates studios or whether they're going to, you know, in facilities like physio clinics, hospitals or fitness clubs. We shall see, because I don't think we know what's, what the future is for fitness at the moment. I think, you know, it's a very interesting time. Once everyone's had their jab <laughs> and the whole country has been protected, we, you know, hopefully we can move forward with that. But I think, I think the, as I say, the future has always been the teachers how the teachers are teaching, where they're teaching, how they're teaching, that's going to determine the future of Pilates. It was interesting when you said you get the question a lot, isn't yoga more popular than Pilates these days? Well, me and Jill recently did a, a podcast. It was kind of just after New Year when people do start to think about a new health and fitness routine. And we were trying to help people avoid the fitness fads that come and go. But we mentioned that the real things that work like Pilates, like yoga, like strength training, those are the ones that have just been around for the longest. And that's normally a good judgment. So Pilates is not going to go anywhere. It's just go going to adapt to the new normal, isn't it? So, mm. and like totally. you said, it's all, it's all about the coaches and the teachers. The teachers make everything a success. The skill of the teacher. I mean, yoga is 2000 years old, so they've got a bit of a head start on us. You know, what I found fascinating when I went to India, I was quite nervous about digging Pilates though. Uh, that yoga is not an organized class as it is outside in our Western world. You know, people, I remember the, <laughs> I was shocked. The traffic in Mumbai was always, is always horrendous. And one time we were just stuck there and the taxi driver got out and literally started doing his yoga on the side of the road uh, while we were in the traffic. And the host that was hosting the courses, uh, I asked his father, I said, look, you know, how do you, you know, do your yoga? He said, well, it's like eating. I go to the beach sometimes, I do it in my bedroom sometimes, you know. I said, but what do you think about all this Western approach, like the Bikram stuff and all that? He said, oh, that's not yoga. That's not yoga. Yoga is, is incorporated into your life, whether you do it at home, whether you do it at the beach. And yeah, I saw groups of Indian ladies doing laughing yoga, which of course I was immediately attracted to. I thought, that's me. You know, I usually fall asleep. When I've been to yoga classes, the yoga teacher, and I always go with Malcolm and, and he's so flexible. They always go, they go to him and me to go, oh, you're so good. And then they look at me and go, just do what you can. You know? <laughs> so when I saw the laughing yoga, I was like, this is me. Stood with a bunch of ladies in a park. And that's the only evidence I saw of group yoga was, was the laughing yoga in parks. The rest of it, as we call the real yoga, was being done individually. And, you know, in a similar sort of way, 
the practice of Pilates, you know, it's not just about teaching a class. You, you can't just keep teaching without doing some yourself. And that's what I hope, you know, some of the systems we've set up with our training room and with our live classes, teachers have an opportunity to come do it. I think learn your own body, learn what your body's saying to it. We, as we say, have a conversation with your body. That means listen to it. You know, if you're having a conversation, you don't just keep talking. You know, listen to your body. What is your body telling you? And begin to recognize how, what movements you need, what stretches you need. You know, do you need your breathing? Our bodies, we've only got one body. So let's try and make the best of it. But yeah, yoga is amazing. I'm not a yoga person, but it brings a different quality to movement than what Pilates can offer you. Uh, as with so many other methods, and I say with Garuda, with James De Silva at the moment, his method is amazing because it takes the body a different direction. Eric Franklin, as I mentioned earlier, he's with his um, method. I mean, it, it's all exploring this amazing body we've got. So sometimes it doesn't do what you want it to do, but that's, you know, usually on a Monday after showing off on a Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> those leg kicks, too much. With those leg kicks, big leg circles. <laughs> Big leg circles as you're going around. <laughs> Our last question, Michael, today is what are your top tips for keeping healthy and strong as you, we all get older? Two words, sleep and eat. There's a myth about as you get older, you need less sleep. That is absolute BS. You know, sleep is the most, and not just length of sleep, quality of sleep. You know, it's so important. And most people are restricted in improving either with weight loss or just any the quality of life because they're not sleeping correctly. Nutrition is 95% of what we look like. There is no one program. You just need to get it together with what your body needs. Um, I love keto. I love, I do intermittent fasting, have done now for several years. That works for me. Now I'm not like a advocate to say, you must do keto. You must do intermittent fasting. Cause for some people it doesn't work. But whatever you works for you, it has to be a big part of what you're addressing. And <laughs> definitely lockdown again has proved some challenges. I don't think I've ever eaten so many mince pies in my life as I did this Christmas. I mean, it really was ridiculous. Uh, mainly because we've got Marks and Spencer's down the road here in Greece, which is our comfort zone. So, and they put pre-Christmas, they put all their Christmas food on 50% off. Well, you know, I'm a glutton for sales. So if somebody says 50%, of course you buy twice as much as what you're going to buy. And unfortunately, in this case, it was mince pies. So I think, you know, it lockdown has challenged us to, to, um, to be better with food, should we say, because we haven't been. We've learned how to do a lot of, I've been learning recently all about the raw soups, you know, just putting the soups in the blender, putting the veggies in the blender. Um, there's some great people on YouTube sharing information. The nutrition's better in the soup. And, um, and that's become a little bit of an obsession at the moment um, as we go through things. But yeah, nutrition and sleep. Movement doesn't fix everything. It really doesn't. You need to have that balance with your body. You know, strength training, cardiovascular training, training your heart. That's outside of, you know, those overall things, tips is get the balance right. Amen. Again. Amen. <laughs> Yeah, they, these are the things we talk about every single week on the on the podcast. We literally just did a podcast like a week ago talking about intermittent fasting and keto. <laughs> and those are the things that me and Jill kind of gravitate towards. But the conclusion was, 
you should just do it intuitively. You shouldn't stick to something really rigidly. You should just do what works for you. And just because someone else tells you that being a vegan is perfect, it might really harm you. So you have to be intuitive. So yeah, amen, because that's exactly what we've just been saying recently. Yeah, I mean, you know, the thing, with intermittent fasting, you know, as you get older, maybe the twenty, uh, the 12 and 8 or whatever combination you're doing, five or two per day, uh, days per week, you know, I think I've, there's a lot of variance. And of course, conditions like thyroid problems and, uh, you know, all those things go into the, the mixing bowl when you're looking for the solution. But uh, it just makes sense. I mean, I don't do keto for weight. Well, yes, you always say get healthy, you lose weight. This is a side effect. But for me, keto just keto makes my body work better, <laughs> you know, without going into too much detail. Uh, the body functions a lot better when I'm when I'm doing that. And I love carbs. And I, I mean, I absolutely have a relationship of passion with carbs. But I know it, they're bad for me. I know they are not f psychologically, but for the body physically. You know, when mm. I, I just don't feel good. Friday night, for example, we'd had a hard day and I said, well, let's just order pizza. So we tried this new place. We normally get thin crust pizza if we do defect to it, two carbs. But we ordered this new pizza and it came and it wasn't thin crust, but it wasn't like the silly size. And it was loaded with cheese and it was so good. But I felt so bad for the next two days, you know, and I know exactly why. I mean, mm. you know, but it's, you know, we all do the same things and they say, I don't drink that much alcohol like I used to, but, you know, I know that has an effect. So everything we do has, you know, has an effect on the body. And we've, I think coming from the Jane Fonda era of exercise, we used to think exercise and movement can do, you know, take care of everything. Weight loss, you know, you name it. I'm, I'm, I'm going to kill myself with exercise and it'll be, it'll be fine. And we do realize now that that's not the case. That exercise is just a small part, an important part of a really healthy program. The other two parts are, as I say, nutrition and sleep. Thank you, Michael. I know you're a very busy man. Um, thank you for coming on our podcast. Finally, where can our listeners find out more about you? Well, you can find about everything we're doing on mkpilates.com. Um, if you go and if you join our website, if you don't know us, where have you been? I can't believe it. <laughs> can't uh, believe but it. if you you can join our website and you get two weeks free into our training room where you get to see all our recorded classes. Um, and then we have our live classes every day, as I say, Pilates, bar, spirals. Uh, we do that every week, week in, week out. Um, and of course, we do lots of fun courses online. So yes, MK, www.mkpilates.com is the place that you'll find what we're up to. Fabulous. And I do recommend that you go on there because I'm a member of your training room. And every now and then it gets me out of a slump when I do a class with you, Michael. I love it. <laughs> well, that's good. I'm glad to hear. We just need to get Dan in there. Yes, Dan, we need to convert Dan. <laughs> yeah, Dan, have you ever, Dan, have you ever done a bar class? I've not done a bar class, but I've done an online Pilates class with Jill and my core was aching for about seven days. Afterwards. Well, that oh, was can... just a starter. Come do a bar <laughs> class with us. Yes. Me, my whole glutes have gone up two inches with um, <laughs> doing bar class. And I'm panicked when we stop doing, come out of lockdown and we stop doing as many online classes, the, the, bar, the, the butt is going to hit the floor, as we say. Um, so, yes, yeah, so we can get you longer, lean. Well, you might, you could look quite tall. How tall are you? I'm six foot. 
Yeah, well, we can get we can get another couple of inches on that uh, just from <laughs> getting you lengthened up. And your leg kicks, I'm sure, will just need to make sure you've got a good space. I always say before I start the class, check around, make sure you're not going to kick anything. And that does include the cat and the dog. So, you know, when we start kicking the legs around, you need to make sure you've got a, a nice, safe place to do that. <laughs> yeah, you mentioned earlier that, that about burpees. Well, the first online class I did last year would doing like an online hit class and there was one of the members did a burpee jumped up and hit his head off the lamp the light shed so <laughs> that was one of the learning curves we had to tell people <laughs> clear the exercise space we always, <laughs> we always get we say look to people we need your emergency contact and often people put themselves in there i said but no 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 emergency contact if you do knock yourself on the sideboard that we've got someone we can call you know that can come rescue you because that's the other thing so yeah we always get emergency contact there's in case you know, something was to happen. Of course, touch wood, it hasn't yet, but we always need those those details. Well, thank you very much, Michael, for joining us. I love chatting to you, as always. So, and <laughs> everybody, just have a look at Michael's website. Thank, thank you very you. much. Right, thanks, Michael. Thanks. Bye, guys. Take care. Bye. Bye. Oh, Dan, how fab was that, talking to Michael? Yeah, that was a, a really good conversation wasn't it It pretty informal and it was good how well for me especially because I'm not in the Pilates community but Mm. it wasn't just all Pilates he kind of touched upon a lot of the the health and fitness and philosophy subjects that we talk about a lot so it was really interesting that he shares the same view as us wasn't it yeah, I was really interested when he was saying about keto and intermittent fasting when we were just talking about them in our last podcast as well, wasn't it? And he came to the same conclusions as us, basically. It's all about your own intuition and what works for you at the right times, because sometimes something will work for you and then other times it won't. So it was really good listening to that. Yeah, it was also interesting listening to someone with such a successful kind of world-renowned business, how he went through the same struggles with COVID moving online as everyone else did even like the the funny stuff like getting people on zoom calls and like more serious stuff like when he said he had a brand new studio had only been open two days and then he had to close it down so it's not just the regular folk like me and you it's people (laughs) who are really high up had to do the same same thing so it was good to get that perspective as well I know and I love hearing how you know like when he first started Pilates he hated it (laughs) Yeah. And that, like, like we said in the podcast, that often happens, doesn't it? If you, mm. you don't just go out there and choose something to have a career in, sometimes it kind of chooses you and you can have a, do a complete 180 and end up enjoying something. Mm. Yeah. Have we converted you then, Dan? Well, I, I don't think I'll be doing a bar class. Mike, Mike was trying to get me to do. Um, <laughs> I think that. <laughs> Yeah. I don't think your hamstrings would cope with a bar class. No, no. I might um, I might be in the intensive care unit if I try to do a bar <laughs> class. So I think I'm going stick, to stick to me lane just for now. <laughs> but it's just so good to hear from someone like Michael that, you know, you, you can keep going and the future of Pilates and any any kind of fitness is in the teacher and how good the teachers are and how to keep things rolling on. And hopefully we'll all survive and come out the other end. Okay. Yeah. And it's nice to hear that he's adapting and continuing. That's what you do hear from, from good coaches and kind of world renowned people in their subjects that they're always an open book. So Michael said he's moving into um, helping older adults and he's, he's looking forward to getting back into one-on-one, but he's not just 
it's not just a rigid system he's looking to adapt and help people continue and forward and it's good to see that he's not just just happy where he's at I always find that refreshing when people are always looking to learn more yeah absolutely and I think you do you do change as you get older and and you start your teaching styles and you the things that you did when you were younger you can't do anymore one day you won't be doing burpees Dan <laughs> yeah man Amen. We've been saying that a lot in this podcast. (laughs) Anyway, that was. I hope you've enjoyed listening to our interview with Michael. Um, We've really enjoyed chatting with him. It was good, wasn't it? So yeah, and please, if you are have enjoyed this, please remember to subscribe to our podcast and don't forget to pass the pod. Yep, and remember, Um, if you want to visit Michael's website, it was michaelkingpilates.com. Mk Pilates mkpilates.com mkpilates.com yeah and jill you can attest that it's there's good stuff on there can't you oh yeah i've done loads of michael's classes and things it's, obviously he's such a good teacher and we've also got your men of power course out my as well. men of power course so do, is that, coming do that first before you go to michael's website yes sign up for my men of power course first. <laughs> <laughs> and you can find that on my website organicpilates.co.uk Fantastic. So thanks, listeners. Thank you, listeners. Goodbye.